0: Sang froid. deux mains se sont posées sur notre fuselage et commencent
1: à compacter notre vaisseau Au secours Thérien, désolé, cette phase de réduction est devenue obligatoire. Votre engin est compactable. Cette terre et ses habitants n'ont pas de place à perdre avec ce type de vaisseau. Votre mission est terminée. Habitériens, compactez votre bouteille de viande pour lutter contre tous les envahisseurs de la cuisine.
0: than an hour, and have remembered to call your office. Now you transmit your thoughts across space electronically.
2: Good evening, everybody. How are you? All right. We're going to get more of a cheer out of you before we get our guests out here. Uh, everybody, uh, there we go. There we go. That's the right kind of energy. How many of you are, are actually going to Fan Expo Dallas this weekend? How many of you uh, went, went today? Which, you know, I, I think of Friday night as preview night. You get a good feel for where everything is and everything. Uh, how many of you actually have, have gone to see Kieran Gary already? A few of you. Very good. Okay. Shame on the rest of you. I expect to see you at their table sometime this weekend. Uh, my name is Moises Chuyan. I host po- uh, panels, Q&As for, for the convention. And uh, when they said, we need somebody to host a pre-screening Q&A for 2010 with Keir DeLay and Gary Lockwood, I said, well, I, then who do I have to stab? Um, you know, what, what, what do I have to do? And they said, it's yours. It's yours. So uh, without further ado, we're, we're going to go ahead and bring these guys out. We'll, uh, we'll start with uh, the man that we don't want to leave dangling out in space. Ladies and gentlemen, let's hear it for Gary Lockwood.
1: Next
2: year, next year, maybe? Yeah, yeah.
1: That's,
2: uh, works. He's Unless, a, let's... Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert. If you haven't seen 2001, I don't know why you're here for this. Uh, let's, uh, let's hear it for the one, the only, Keir DeLay.
1: Hey, sorry, sorry. Dave's not here. they asked me if you were here i said dave's not here <laughs> ah somebody remembers that huh so i i guess to to start off
2: with um working with stanley kubrick what 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 was being on a set with him like uh in, in the way that it differs from working with other directors he was very much a singular talent
0: he certainly was he, he um well let me in the the short the shortest way i can put it that How was it working with Stanley Kubrick? It doesn't get better. He was that great. I mean, you were in, you knew you were in the presence of genius with this man, but he was wonderful with us. I mean, it wasn't like, I had just worked with a terrible, when I say terrible, I don't mean he made some bad films. It was a very famous director by the name of Otto Preminger. And um, I had done I mean, a he, was, he was
2: kind of known for being abusive of oh, He was
0: actors. a bully. He's, he was, he's Gene Seberg I mean. loved yeah. to humiliate his actors as much as bo- especially the younger actors. And I was d- it was with Laurence Olivier. It was called Bunny Lake is Missing. And one day, I, um, got a, I went home after a shooting one day and my wife said, call your agent. And I called my agent. He said, are you sitting down? And I said, no, why? He said, you've just been offered the lead in Stanley Kubrick's next film. I had no idea I was being considered. It's just totally out of the blue. Well, arriving in London, nine months later or whatever it was, and meeting Stanley Kubrick and then beginning to film, it was just, he was, he never raised his voice. He was easy to work with. He was open to suggestions. Not that that he wouldn't necessarily use our suggestions, but he was open to hearing them. He He was lovely
2: to work with. It was fabulous. Gary, what was, uh, what was Stanley like working with you? Was it, was it much the same? Was there a, a different kind of relationship that he had with different actors? Well,
1: yeah, I should speak into this. <laughs> it's the one thing you learn, to hit your marks and speak into the mic. Um, uh, Kieran and I have been friends for many years. We're different people, as you may or may not know. I'm more of a dickhead. <laughs> And I'm a gambler, and uh, Kubrick was a big gambler, and so I had a different relationship with Stanley than Kier did. But nevertheless, as an actor uh, relationship with a director, I, I concur with everything Kier said. He was a gentleman, he was the coolest guy, and he was the only time I ever worked for a director that that was smarter than I was, because I was a smart ass. And I really did like the guy a great deal. I stayed friendly with him for many years after. And uh, I gambled with him and uh, had a lot of fun times with him. And uh, one day he said, how did you get like you are? And uh, this is after I wanted to book a bet that he was going to make between Muhammad Ali and Henry Cooper over the big famous heavyweight fight. And I I said, how much are you going to bet? He said, I'm thinking $500 we have to remember the English pound was 285 to 1 so I said so it's uh, what are the odds in the fight he said eight to one and you don't know this about me but I grew up playing high stakes poker as a kid because I was a good player and I I did quite well in my life at that I'm bragging but it's the way it was and so I looked at Kubrick and I said it's eight to one uh, yeah he said why he said do you want to I said yeah I want to book it I, I, I want your $500 he said well that's that's $4,000 you've got that sitting around your flat in London and I had been doing quite well gambling which he knew about and I said I have about five or six thousand dollars sitting around there I, I I'd be happy to risk it against a sure thing like Muhammad Ali over Henry Cooper so finally, he, he said, well, I'll think about it. So on the day of the fight, I asked him at work. I, we didn't talk about these in front of Keir and all the people. This was kind of between us. I said, well, let me ask you something. Have you decided to bet? And he said, I changed my mind. He said, well, what, what do you think is going to happen? I said, well, they'll get out there. <laughs> Muhammad Ali will carry him for three or four rounds and knock him out, and everybody will go on their way. And uh, maybe you remember, but Muhammad Ali came to the studio. Was in the commissary, you remember? No, I, I don't remember. He's not a he's not a, a gambler. He's a good human being. <laughs> <laughs> Although Dave did win the big gamble, he got to go to Jupiter in return.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> you won the big one, kid. Anyway, so so
2: to to. Uh, um, sorry it's been a long day uh, <laughs> um when when you guys were getting ready to make two thousand and one, Kubrick was coming off of dr Strangelove That's right. and this was incredibly uh, uh, critically acclaimed. There was a lot of popular enthusiasm behind it. It was what is his next film going to be um, when when you were when you were initially uh put in front of the press i mean were, were they doing advanced press before while you were in production was that coming you know after production was over
0: i don't i don't remember doing a lot of press during the making of the film certainly there was uh, there were interviews after the film after i was done filming uh, i did do some press um, probably especially around the time that the film was released
1: but um no I don't remember did you do you remember doing a lot of press stuff I don't well we I live in California Cure lives back East and we took different routes for the uh, premiere in Washington DC and I should have bet Carol summers are you here Carol yeah there she is I told her that we premiered on she said April 6th and I said no we didn't because I'm a numbers guy and uh, somebody uh, when we're signing autograph today sitting next to me went on the internet and I won April 2nd was Washington, D.C., April 3rd, New York City, and April uh, 234 was L.A. And no one liked the film. And Arthur C. Clark and Keir and I and Stanley's editor, Ray Lovejoy. So Arthur, we're sitting in first class in the old 707 on the way to L.A. And uh, I'm here and Arthur's here and Keir is back here and Ray is behind me and we're heading out to California for the final premiere. And um, I'm, I'm sort of pro-California because I'm a surfer and a cowboy and I grew up there and went to UCLA and all that. So I said, I turned to Arthur and I said, you know, Arthur, we're going to a place tonight where they make movies and we're gonna really be received well because the rest of the country is behind times and they don't know what we did. And so Arthur looked at me and he said, well, you know, I just saw the film for the first time last night, and he said, "I have to tell you, I am absolutely amazed how great the film was." And I knew at that time, Arthur was not a movie guy. Do you know, I mean, I really yeah. knew that, and I said, "I said, let me ask you something, may I? You were surprised; it was brilliant." And he said, I- I- "It almost brought tears to my eyes." He said, "I, I couldn't even believe it." And I said, well, tonight we'll be in Hollywood and all the actors and people around the business, I know nobody likes Hollywood, everybody hates the place. I live in the state everyone loves to slam, I'm used to it, La La Land and all that. But But here's the end of the story. Here's the end of the story. I remember at the intermission, I was married to Stephanie Powers, remember? And we're all sitting out, waiting to go back in at the intermission. And now, one at a time, my actor pals, like Warren Beatty, I'd done a movie with him and all, and they were coming up, and we're a little group, Keir and his former wife, and me, and Stephanie, and a couple other pals of ours. And Warren Beatty was the first guy. He came up, and he stuck his head in the huddle, and he looked at me, and he went, you're lucky. Because unknown to Keir, Warren campaigned heavily for your part. Yeah. And, uh, He's still bitter about it, I'm sure. <laughs> no, nah, Warren's, Warren's a very bright guy, trust me. I mean, I've known him for a long time. He's, you know, but maybe he is bitter, yeah. A well, I mean, if you were a guy that had a chance to be in 2001 and it didn't happen, I don't know. I, I'm so proud of it. That's it. You
2: know, the 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 critical reception the critical reception the audience reception being so muted at the time and now so many of us really honestly consider it the one of the great if not the great film of all time thank you um, what what the was it like dealing with the press when you were getting that kind of reception initially there there had to be something of a really
0: well it was <coughs> as you probably know uh, there was a very it was very divided uh, fifty percent of the critics loved the film. But there were some very well-known critics that hated it, absolutely hated it. A couple of times, there was Newsweek's uh, film critic, and I don't remember who the other one, there were two that actually re-reviewed it some months later. Marlene Kael. Marlene, she wasn't, saying I was wrong. It was a great film. Pauline Cale hated it, and she was a very well-known critic.
2: Well, one of the people who loved it was this scrappy up-and-comer guy named Roger from Chicago, yeah, Roger
0: Ebert. Yeah, he did. You know, it was, it was
2: one of his One big of the
0: big dickheads of the well, planet. <laughs> but he did, lo- he did love the film. There's no question about yeah. it. And um, Sorry, folks. But, but it was the people... Uh, I just read a... Uh, uh, it's, it was somebody who was, was recounting that in the New York premiere alone, 250 people walked out. And it wasn't until, you know what happened, if some months later, then Kubrick and, and and MGM, the people at MGM were very depressed about the reaction, you know? Yet suddenly it got, the, it, the general public started to come and it started really grossing a lot of money after a while. And MGM realized that the younger generation was coming and seeing this film and uh, that a lot of these young fellas, or young uh, c- people, not fellas, um, had been smoking funny cigarettes. And- uh, I don't know anything about they, this. They changed the the poster for the film. <laughs> the new poster said, 2001, the ultimate trip. And uh, that's when they realized that it yeah, was man, That
2: Man, no that's when-
1: man, it really was. Hey, you yo, know, Gary, that's when everybody knew it was really far <laughs> out, man. <laughs> That was one of the greatest moments of my life when years later we're being honored for 2001 by the Writers Guild and I got to get up there and got revenge on all those people who said bad things about the movie because they were all out there and I'd say, how many of you saw 2001 originally? All these hands went up and how many of you are from New York and how many of you are from Chicago and how many of you... Yeah. Do you know that no one liked the movie? <laughs> a matter, and then, then I, I hit him with did you ever know that Tom Hanks became an actor because he saw the film really one day a guy said you know 2001 is one of the top 10 movies ever made and because I am a smart ass I looked at him and I said okay man you're on the line name the other <laughs> oh, Well, wait, wait a minute if somebody says name the type nine better films in 2001 unless you're a female because you'd be oriented by different perspectives Think about it, what's your first answer? You're gonna go uh, Citizen Kane. Yeah, you're gonna do the old favorite, see? But I mean, it's hard to name nine better films in 2001 unless you just didn't like it. You guys take it from there. <laughs> well, there, there, there were a lot
2: of things about the production that changed during production. Kubrick was constantly reiterating and changing things, and uh, I mean, d- down to the voice of Hal. You, you two didn't directly work with the the actor who ended up voicing HAL, N- did no, you?
0: No, Stanley, um, well, at first, uh, how many of you remember an actor, depending on your age, with by the name of Marty Balsam, Martin Balsam? Uh, if you don't know him, uh, he was in Psycho, he did many wonderful films, but he was in Psycho. He was the detective that was murdered on the stairway uh, by the weird uh, creature that... Uh,
2: Anthony Perkins came Yeah, Anthony up
0: Perkins was doing uh, Then Stanley said, no, he's <laughs> to New York. So then he hired a British actor by the name of Nigel Davenport, who was on the set with us doing the off-camera voice of Hal with us. He was a telemedicator and he had no way of, you know, Hal was sort of talking this I'm way. I'm sorry, you know, Dave. I can't do that. Can't do that. No. no. So then after the first week, he, he let him go, he paid him off. And he said, you know, I'm going to worry about the voice that I use later on when I'm editing the film in post-production. Meanwhile, he turned to his first uh, assistant director, Nigel Crack, no. uh, No, Derek Derek Cracknell. Yeah. Derek Cracknell. And he said, Derek, you do the voice of Hal for the boys, right? This was the voice of Hal for the rest of the film, which was most of the film. Oh no, I can't do that. No, Dave, no. It's all like that. A bit like doing with Michael Caine. You know what I mean? You know, it was all like that. I'm sorry, Dave. I need more information. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> that was the voice of Howard. I can't that, blow the bloody doors off. That took acting. You know, that's pretty good and for acting. The, the, the reality of it is, is that at, in post-production, Kubrick um, hired this extraordinary Canadian actor Douglas Raines. Douglas Raines was the Laurence Olivier of Canada. He was known for doing all the great Shakespearean roles I- at, in Stratford, Connecticut, uh, Stratford uh, in Ontario, very famous theatre. Doing, he did Macbeth, he did Hamlet, he did King Lear. He, d- he was very well known for doing all these great roles. H- it's his voice. I have been told, I don't know if this is for sure whether this is true, it was a two-day gig. He worked for two days in the film.
1: And apparently, he's never seen it. From his point of view, it was just another gig. Yeah, but I'm telling you, doesn't he sort of let us know that he's a little bit uptight? Because I've, I've been around the business. I started out as a cowboy stuntman. I've seen the movie stars and people from come and go. And... You know, when you come into this business, there's no guarantees about anything, but if you've done well and had a successful career, there's something in you that should be grateful. You know, grateful to the people who carved out the industry years ago, grateful to, you know, just the mere fact that you were successful, because most people come in our business, they don't make it. A very small percentage of people come in our business, make a living, and we were fortunate, and... I have a friend who wrote a movie called Every Which Way But Loose. His name is Jeremy Kronzberg. Very close friend for many years, and Kronzberg one day said, you know something, Lockwood? We had great careers. We won the lottery. It's
0: true. I'll tell a funny story that might, um, it's, this is not, well, it's a form of boasting, but I'll tell it anyway. Hey, you're an actor. It's your job. um, Well. um, there was a scene uh, that we had with Mission Control in which uh, I described the fact that the computer, Hal, has indicated that there's a some part on the space sh- on the ship that's gonna not work properly, and that I have to go EVA and replace the, the And we you s- you see us testing this part. Well, um, it was. Very. There wasn't a lot of dialogue, as you all know, in the film. There was minimal dialogue throughout, particularly particularly in our part of the film. But the longest speech I ever had in the whole film was this communication with mission control. And the reason it was difficult to memorize, it was technological gobbledygook, from my point of view. Very difficult to memorize. And you know, you don't memorize a whole script the way you do a play when you're doing a live play in, in the theater. Then you do, you memorize the whole script. But in film, you... Memorize it bit by bit as you're going along. Well, sometimes you
2: get a new page when you show up in the morning to do the scene. Yeah, it can
0: change, but this one I was I went over it for for weeks and weeks and weeks. It was very difficult. Well, in editing the film, Stanley decided that the film that the scene was redundant. He didn't need it. It was too similar to another scene when Mission Control is talking to us. So it was cut. He cut it from the film, which I think was fine. But because of the way I memorized it. I will go to my grave. It's tattooed in my brain. It went like this. This is 52 years later. Mission Control, this is X ray Delta 1. At 1920 onboard fault prediction center, and our 9000 triple zero computer showed Alpha Echo 35 unit as possible failure within 48 hours. Request check your in ship system simulator. Also confirm your approval. Our plan to go EVA and replace Alpha Echo 35 unit prior to failure. Mission Control, this is X ray Delta 1. Trying to do this. mission concluded. That'll go to my grave. I had to show off a little bit.
2: Well, we're we're here uh, to, to screen twenty ten. We tried to get two thousand one. Warner Brothers said, Oh, we're spending a gigantic amount of money to properly restore it, re release it on seventy millimeter. That's right. Premier it at the Cannes film festival. Okay, Warner Brothers, that's a pretty good reason to say that we can't show two thousand one. That's
1: BS because you can get one for eighteen thousand dollars.
2: Trust me, I know. I've looked. <laughs>
1: yeah. No, it is. Well, but we, you know, then you can't get the rights
2: and then you piss off. No, no. The yeah, I'm they, not saying they, that. Right I in th- the street. I,
1: I, we were in Australia a couple of years ago and we went out like this and talked about the film and everything. And then I knew the guy... I mean, I had done a show down there before and I talked to the guy and he said, we got a brand new pristine print. Cost me $18,000, 70 mil. So it's out there. It's just... I, you know, it's very. I, I, I've just written my biography, and I, I've been going back and forth about what I can put on the cover of my book, but I was a designer as a kid. I designed a lot of things, and in fact, I won a, a contest for all of America for my poster art when I was in high school. Thank you. <laughs> all right. A moment of a, a moment of brilliance but it was still nothing like really doing 2001 but anyway so I've designed the, the cover of my my book and and it's a rocket ship and coming out of the exhaust are all these famous people Kier DeLay Stanley Kubrick thank you <laughs> Gene Roddenberry Elvis Presley all the fonders so to Put into a higher orbit which is 18,000 miles no escape velocity is 18,000 orbit velocity is 17.5 in order to get put into orbit with my book the theory is when you look at my cover you will say aha those are the famous people that are going to help host this book into orbit are you with me it's kind of a play on words in a visual play well that's how you win that's how I won the contest Uh, I'll tell you what I did to win the contest i designed a rectangle with a uh, forest very uh beautiful forest rabbits little trees little brooks little mice and it said years to grow and then there was a, uh, it was a it's a rectangle not a square and on the hypotenuse was a lightning rod that divided the hypotenuse so you had a top half and a bottom half and this top half if you flipped it down was the bottom half of that it was all charred and burned so it went years to grow seconds to go remember only you can prevent forest fires so uh, it's the same thing on my cover is uh there's different levels of looking at it and i feel that's a way to mf the judges <laughs> Okay, thank you for filling in. The <laughs> but, but life is a con, you know that. We didn't go to Jupiter. Gary Lockwood,
2: uh, art critic as well as artist. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll tell you. I'd be I'll since never claim to be an
0: art critic. I'll tell you my story with how I uh, happened to be in
2: 2010. Well, this, uh, was, this was, I mean, it was a number of years later. It was, it was uh, 16 uh, When I did
0: ago. it, it was uh, actually closer to 18 years 18, later. 18, yeah. From the time from that time I made s- from the time I made 2001 to the time 2010 was released was uh, 18 years later, so or when I made it, so I guess 17 would be about when we filmed 2010, and I was in Los Angeles. How many of you remember a series called McMillan and Wife? Well, yeah. I was there guest starring in in, epi- in an episode, and I happened to get a, a copy of the Hollywood Reporter which is a daily showbiz publication comes out every day and I saw that there was going to be a sequel to 2001 uh, called 2010 Odyssey 2 I think it was called right is that the,
2: the correct uh, title? It, it's gone under multiple, titles. multiple I think, titles I think in production they called it that yeah. and then at the end of the day it was 2010 and I hadn't
0: been make contact. contacted at all by it um, but I had a feeling that that was because 18 years later they would figure i was too old for the role that i would have put 18 years on and they couldn't cast me because i was supposed to look the same the character in 2010 was supposed to look exactly the same as in 2001 so i just called and i was very lucky in those years i always looked very young for my for my age look younger than i really was in fact when I did 2001, they had to add lines in the makeup because Stanley thought I was a little young for the role. I was actually 30, but uh, he felt I was looking too young. So I had a feeling the director wasn't thinking about me because I probably looked a lot, hell of a lot older. So I called directly. I didn't even do it through uh, my Peter agent. Rimes. I called Peter Himes on the, I called MGM and explained to the secretary that I wanted to speak to him and who I was. And he got on the phone and I said, Peter, before you, I don't know if you've cast the role, but if you haven't, before you make a decision, I think you and I should have lunch at the commissary, or have lunch. So he invited me to the commissary. We had lunch, and I had a firm offer to do the play, the, the film, the next the, the next day, and that's how I ended up in being 2000 in uh, 2010.
2: Well, no, th- even though now you get residuals for both what <laughs> <laughs> now you get
0: residuals for both no I can't <laughs> right
2: now what was wh- what was what was uh, each of your first reactions when you heard that they were making 2010 in the first place yeah. i i know that you know when when a sequel to something is being made the first reaction isn't always oh good oh what great oh, no, news. how
0: could how could there be a sequel to this great film exactly and I-, I don't think i'd heard about it until i picked up this hollywood reporter i think that was the first time that I knew anything about it and uh, and it had a one I mean Helen Mirren this great actress as we all think of she was playing this Russian astronaut and uh, John Lithgow was in it and Bob Balaban and uh, uh, Roy Scheider Roy Scheider so it had a wonderful cast and I felt well, I was very lucky to be to do yeah. it I, if I if didn't of course my work was only with Roy Scheider in the film it was really a cameo in many ways but it was interesting about it is that I don't know how many of you know that Stanley, for whatever reasons, um, had most of everything that was created f- for 2001, uh, which was stored in North London, in Boreham Wood was the name of the town, um, where MGM Studios had a British version of their own studios there, destroyed. Everything was destroyed. So they had to research getting the materials to build my spacesuit again the red spacesuit that it would photograph exactly like the original spacesuit and it took a lot of effort and the way they recreated the scene of that of the enterprise this, the ship that was the ship that we were on was the Enterprise?
1: Right? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I did Star Trek pilot. I get them confused. Well, not the
0: Enterprise. <laughs> what was the name of our ship? Yeah, it's
2: because
1: you're sitting next to Gary Mitchell. Anyway. And you think, uh, you <laughs> think I think it's amazing. I get confused. <laughs> I'm sorry. Huh? It is amazing. The, what the they Discovery, think. which the is Discovery, thank you. Part of the, part you, of the, the reason Enterprise. that they named the well, ship. Well, I, I, Star I, I Trek was going to say something, but <laughs> I wasn't well, sure thank enough. You. <laughs> Gary's <laughs> like, like I'm pretty. Skis- I'm pretty skis- skis- sure that I was on the, the it interpr- it I think he was wrong, by. but I mean, you know, Dave Bowman so, never has been wrong. But I thought
0: it was extraordinary. <laughs> Their recreation of, the, of that part of the ship that where you see me uh, again in this in 2010. It,
2: it really was a amazing kind of recreation. And they had
0: they had to recreate it from every. They did giant blow ups of frame by frame uh, from 2001 and recreated it all. It was amazing. Care, do you remember today
1: Shining Hal? yeah yeah well I asked that man it was a beautiful model of how yeah I asked him where he got it he said he was made it's made by somebody cost three hundred and seventy-five dollars to make a uh, you know just a small how. but it was really nicely made yeah. aluminum in the light and it had a battery a battery pack nine volt it could say things like buzz off <laughs> you know whatever Gary, when, when you found out that they were
2: making a sequel to 2001, what, what was your initial reaction? Did you think that, well, you know, well, there could be something there?
1: I mean... No, I mean, I... No, there? first... killed off? No, I mean... I mean uh, you were, yeah, you were killed off, it so was, there was going to be another set of residuals for you. No, I just... Uh, um, you know, you really want to know the truth? or Yeah, I, I want to know
2: the truth. These people want to know the
1: truth. <laughs> I, I, okay, my theory was... What a bad move for everybody you can't redo something like 2001 you can't it's not the same mentality it's not every person I I, I've never been on a project my life where every person was so hand-picked as in 2001 every person in every department I mean the other day I, I live out in Malibu and I was just having a drink with some pals and I told them I was going to Oklahoma to see you and do this show. Dallas I mean the Dallas. Dallas. sorry but well, we have <laughs> kind of you know you today here who came <laughs> here to do it anyway I I asked him I said something and this guy looked at me and he was he was a Brit and he said um, do you know that I worked on 2001 I said really he said yeah he was one of the, I was one of the, the slugs in the art department and I said oh really he said oh yeah he said I said what was it like when you saw it he said God he said it was so magnificent that's the same reaction that the great Arthur C Clarke had I mean you know I know this is boastful but there is I always knew from the go and he'll verify it's true I knew the minute I got the job that it was going to be great because you have a great writer in Clark you have a great director and I have function in my biography I talk a little bit about the industry of course and I say that great directors are not telling actors what to do great directors are photographers now maybe you don't agree because you belong to some theater group here in the city or whatever but I'm telling you Kurosawa David Lean Stanley Kubrick Ingmar Bergman if you go down the greats the truly great directors they were all photographers what I meant by that was this is the image now I'll give you one thing that I know to be true because this came from Stanley's words Stanley had made two films he had made um, The Killing and uh paths of glory Glory. Glory. now paths of glory is one of the greatest movies ever made it's my favorite kubrick film as a matter of fact my personally is my favorite and absolutely
2: one of kirk Douglas's best performances absolutely
1: yep well that is this is van gogh and 2000 and uh, It's not mine. It's. I think it's a great film, but it's certainly not my favorite Kubrick film because I'm an artist type, and I look more like you know. I mean, there's some good-looking stuff in it. The opening shot's eight and a half minutes long, but you know, I I like. There are things I know about it and like, but I mean, it's not 2001. It's not. It's not Doctor Strangelove. Doctor Strangelove is so incredibly brilliant. It's beyond comprehension. Anyway, where in the hell was I with this? (laughs) I had some kind of rebuttal. Oh. Famous, great directors being one who are photographers. If you look at Kubrick's film, if you buy the Blu-ray, and you look at the nine or ten films that he made, I don't know how many. If there's ever been anyone on this earth that has laid down that kind of visual creativity, you know, call me up, and I, I'll i give you a $1,000. This never happened. Also, I might just add the other thing with Stanley is that I don't remember him having to do
0: a lot of direction, and I think oh. the other thing that great directors do, and I'm not complimenting us, this just is a fact, great directors cast greatly. Mm-hmm. And if you cast greatly, you don't have to do a lot of directing. 90% of it's cast. Yeah, it's done
1: yeah. just by the fact you cast it perfectly. fellows. if you don't mind an addendum to that thought? Keep in mind that when you make a movie, you've got the master scene, the close-ups, and the reaction. I'm talking to Keir. There's a shot of him reacting to me, shot of me reacting to Keir, a shot of us reacting to the Cuban. You're the Cuban. Yeah, I'm the Cuban. He's a Cuban. Yeah. I oh, am. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I'm, I'm having fun with him. He's a good guy. <laughs> the point that I'm trying to make is He's that. making
2: callbacks to conversations that we had three hours ago that none of you were there for. Yeah, I didn't insult him that much. No,
1: not at all. I said, who, what, are those, what are those cannons in the mountain? Uh, oh, some communist named Fidel Castro, he don't mean anything. <laughs> I was in Cuba when I heard the guns going off in the mountains. Anyway, the, the, what I'm trying you to say... You do a
2: great job of selling the biography, by the way.
1: <laughs> 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 anyway, the movie business is such a wonderful thing when it works. I mean, there's nothing like it in the planet. I mean, okay, one day we're, I'm in Comic-Con signing autographs, and two young guys come up, and they see our flagship. You know, we I, you, if you haven't been in front of us, we have an 11 by 14 that sells, That's uh, rather dear, but it will go down, I think, way up there like a, a great work of it's art. It's the climactic the scene when Hal is reading our lips. Right, and it's a magnificent piece of work. Anyway, <coughs> people come up and they look at it and they they you know some people look away or and I just I say well what do you think and I say well if you have the money get that because once well he will never die i I drink and do all kinds of bad things I will die much before this guy will probably live to be a hundred years old but the point that I'm trying to make is after he's dead then it, all the 2001s will become immensely uh, like Picasso dying and the next Sunday everything tripled, so. Hey Gary, you know what I've just discovered, I didn't know this about, I, had,
0: I didn't remember it I should say, is that, uh, as I said, Stanley was very open, you could suggest things, didn't necessarily mean it would end up in the film, but he was open to it. I believe it was your idea that you suggested to Stanley the thing
2: about how we do our lips no wait a minute am i wrong about no, that no no
1: no i'll, I'll just An actor not it. taking
2: credit for something that he's being given credit for well wait a minute a i'm area. about
1: to really get boastful uh-oh <laughs> yeah i'm gonna really lay it on you we were at St- the thing about stanley is everybody was kind of in awe of him but i'm a cowboy surfer kind of guy and i'm not in awe of anybody in the earth maybe mike tyson you know what i'm saying Hey, Mike, where do you want me to sign, you know? But the thing I want to say about Kubrick is that he could be wrong too. And so we're doing a scene one day where Arthur C. Clarke and Stanley Kubrick have been writing these little bits of information trying to create um, more paranoia on the part of Hal as regards our activities. And uh, so they come up with this kind of corny scene. And I remember, we're sitting at the council and uh, Kira and I are doing this scene and I'm just really bummed and I had never felt like that on the picture and uh, so Kubrick looked over at me and he said oh Lockwood you don't seem like you're um, a bully itself today and I don't know what possessed me but I just said you know Stanley I grew up in a little redneck cowboy town in California, and Peggy Dolman, the milkman's daughter, was the best-looking chick in school, and she had a calapichi on her that would stop a train. And she came down, the thing, handing out test papers, and she got to me, and I looked up and smartly asked, said, hi, Peggy, how about a piece? And then I went like this, yuck, yuck, that's what I think this scene reminds me of. And at that moment, I never forget, Derek Cracknell, Stanley turned... The the assistant director. Yeah. Stanley just calmly turned to him, and here he'd been put down by an actor, or at least his activities had. But I just did it out of nowhere, because I wanted to get it off my chest. And Cracknell, um, he said, Derek, and he said, yes, Gov? That's a wrap. It's 11:30 on the most expensive movie ever made on the planet at that time, and we go to our room and we exercise. We stayed fit. We exercise. He came with Air Force exercises, and we were eating fish and Jesus, starving ourselves, but to get to get lean and mean for 70 mil. And I'm in my room shadow boxing and exercising my ass off. And Stanley, uh, Derek knocks on my door. He says, "Hey, night. I said, yeah. He said, the gov wants to see in his room. I said, am I fired? Because he fired people, right? And I thought, well, I just talked myself out of the greatest movie I'll ever be in. So uh, such is life. So he said, don't know. So I shower up and walk in Stanley's room. And Stanley was so cool. I'll never forget. He went, "Uh, you're, you're Polish and German. And I said, yeah. He said, will it be schnapps, or what do you drink? You want a vodka? And I looked at him, and I said, well, candidly, I'm from California, and I'll take a, I'll take a, in fact, I had one at the bar down here, our, our p- hotel the other night. I'll have a tequila, a good one, and a snifter, and man, he had it. He had a bar right there in his room. He pours me a snifter, and I said, hey, before we get into, um, uh, the irksome qualities, am I fired? And he just went, no, I don't fire people who are doing a good job. He said, I have learned over the years that if an actor's conscientious like we were and we had something to say, I, I've been taught to listen to him because actors have an instinct toward something because of their they live the characters and they have their own things and I'll tell you later what he came up with but he said I'm going to have my driver take you back to London today he's going to stop and in Golders green and I like Jewish deli food and he said I'm going to give my guy some money and he's going to get you some uh, whitefish or bagels lox whatever you like to eat and go back to your place in London and the next time I hear from you let's see what you come up with boom now you don't know this side of me, but I'm up for a challenge in life. I've, I've been a smart kid all my life. So I go home, but we all solve problems differently. So I got a spiral notebook out, and I started writing everything down that we were supposed to get done in one scene. Time simulation, time delivery, the various things about the computer, various things about mission control, all kinds of tidbits of information And they were trying to get them to you the audience to understand what the hell the thing was all about and I said if we could isolate it in one place and just play a scene between X and Y Dave and and, and Frank we could get everything in and then all we have to do is the computer gets the information now I call him about 8.30 at nine o'clock on um, the day of the the event, the day he said, see ya. Am I boring you guys? Are you okay with it? Telling stories about Stanley Kubrick? No, keep going. Okay, so, well, (laughs) I'm rattling on here. So anyway, I'll hurry up now. So I I call him and I tell him my idea and he he totally freaks and he he was not the kind of guy. He said, oh my God, Lockwood, that's, you know, blah, 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 bitching. He said, I'll send Eddie for you right now. So he sends Eddie his chauffeur and driver to me. I go out there, his wife gets up, puts on some logs on the fire, and we improvise on those year 400s. A lot of the scene that you see in the pod where we get in there and say all these different things. What do you think? I don't know. As far as I'm concerned, Hal can kiss my calipigia. You know, we, we do all that. Now, if you ever see the film again, notice that we get in there, and I believe you have the first line, what do you think? I can't remember. Yeah, I think, what do you think? And then my original line had been in the in the improv with Stanley as I took a line from Gone With a Wind, and I said, well, frankly, Dave, I don't give a damn. And later Stanley said, hey, that's funny. Then he cut it out. You know, it was not part of the... Symbiotic horn. Well, the scene k- kept getting shorter and shorter because
0: yeah. we, he would have us improvise. Yeah, all the time. And record our improvisations, and then we get a new script, which was shorter based on what he saw us do. Exactly. And then, we, then
1: we'd improvise again, and the scene got even shorter. Now the bull goes over the horns because that's called a muleta sword, and that kills a bull. You cut off his aorta valve, he dies, and they give you a reward and haul a bull out and have hamburger. At that point, <laughs> I'm sorry, it's a metaphor. So, well, we're having fun. here about cut? the reading lips? That wasn't your... Wasn't yeah. That, yeah. No, here's what happened. Cut to, to the, the chase. chase. I'm about to, but I had to set it up. And I'm getting laughs, so I'm going to go with that. Anyway, anyway, so Kira and I are sitting there, and we're doing our maybe, you know, 800th improv or whatever, and we're discussing how in the hell is Hal going to go, and... A guy named Victor Linden steps in. Remember Stanley had that little trailer? Yeah. And we're sitting inside this little trailer on the set of this huge movie with the big centrifuge and everything. <laughs> we're in this little trailer. And Victor Linden comes in the room. He's like new meat. And he goes, well, why couldn't he just read your lips? Is that how that Yeah. And then in the final, now you see the movie. And if you see the movie, here's what happens mechanically. We get in there. We say, rotate the pod. Now, you won't believe how brilliant this really is. We get in the pod, and Hal's eye is in back of us. And we enter the pod this way, because I had been in the pod when Stanley sent me down there to see if we could slide into the pod in a mellifluous manner and look like we had done it a thousand times. So I went in there, and I I discovered that if we put a bar up here and we put our... A hold of it we could walk our feet in and slide our, our butt over and look like we belong there so having seen the pod I was aware of it so I could bring it up to Stanley to go in the pod so that was part of my you know my good moment all right at that point we say rotate the pod he rotates the pod around to the eye and then we or rather cure throws all the I turn off all the switches. All the switches leading to whatever it is that Hal has to communicate with us. So he's disconnected in essence. And then we say, Keith says, rotate the pod, and then I think I say it after. Rotate the pod, Hal. What do you think? Well, you know, frankly, damn, I don't give a damn. You know, and then we we, we launch into this brilliant scene. And I didn't know it was going to be the intermission break. So the first time I saw the movie, I just loved it because the intermission comes and there's that long lens going from lip to lip, maybe a 200 millimeter lens going back from Frank over to Dave, back from Frank. And the, the audiences go, holy Christ, we're reading our lips. So they hear everything about disconnecting Hal, and as a result, He kills me and shuts him out and it's 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 genius you don't see that every day in cinema
2: well we've got to let these folks watch this movie they came here for but uh you, you bringing us over to hal uh let's let's me wrap us up uh saying that i one of the things i find interesting about 2010 is that it lends a bit more credence to some of the uh the the feeling that well to be fair a number of people lied to hal and what happens when this thing that you built to not be lied to gets lied to? Bad things happen. Uh, and that's, you know, that's, that's what gave us one of the best bad things happen in space movies. Um, and I feel like, uh, if you ha- how many of you haven't seen 2010 yet? Seeing it for the first time tonight?
0: Oh, a few people.
2: Now, for, for anybody who felt like 2001 didn't answer enough questions, you get some more answers to questions. And, uh, and I, th- I think it's great that... That we that we uh, we have a way to you know make some of the the people more critical of 2001 leaving things you'll ambiguous. also love the last shot <laughs>
1: no i'm serious yeah. the last shot is it's so fantastic. good keep in mind when the last shot comes try, take a mental picture of it because it's absolutely great it beautiful now this
2: isn't the last you're going to get an opportunity to hear from these guys this weekend you guys have a Q&A tomorrow at the show right uh they're at their tables we the haven't done everything tonight hey look you what's know what's left what's left what's left <laughs> all the folks that are going to come to the show now so this is
1: a really cool guy
2: <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't gone up to see them at the show yet go see them in the autograph hall. go see their q a tomorrow
0: they'll be there and with there sunday also
2: and on sunday as well so let's hear it one more time for q delay and gary lockwood <laughs>
0: I ask you a personal question. You, I've wondered whether you might be having some second thoughts about the mission. I mean. Rumors about something being dug up on the moon. I never gave these stories much grievance. But particularly in view of some of the other things that have happened, I find them difficult to put out of my mind. Open the pod bay doors, please, Hal. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. What are you talking about, Hal?